Ladies and dude bros, dude bros and bro dudes, it's the Vince in the Bay podcast. My guest this time is Malcolm Harkins, Chief Security and Trust Officer at Silence. This was recorded at RSA 2018 and is the final interview in my series of interviews that I collected at the RSA 2018 conference. Enjoy. It's Vince in the Bay. I'm here at RSA 2018, now joined by Malcolm Harkins, Chief Security and Trust Officer with Silence. Thank you for joining me, Malcolm. Thanks, Vince. It's great to be here. Chief Security and Trust Officer, CSTO. Sure, let's go with that. Okay. What's the difference between a CISO and a CSO? You know, it depends upon the company. A lot of CISOs, Chief Information Security Officers, scope their role to be IT security. So internal IT operations, the typical things like that. Some look at it, and uh, even when I was in Intel, I widened it. I've looked at a Chief Information Security as Officer, in essence, as a Chief Information Risk Officer and had data privacy in addition to the information security stuff. Chief Security Officer, for me, has a broader context. And like I was Chief Security and Privacy Officer at Intel in my last role, Chief Security Officer has different components. I've got the IT security. I've got the compliance activities. I've got data privacy. And I also oversee elements of our physical security. So there's a wider connotation. And I think that's that's great that you have the overlapping physical security with the the virtual um, or the digital, whatever you want to call it, because um, right now we're in this this age where um, there's this o- almost an overcompensation of uh, network security, and uh, a lot of these firms have kind of lost track of the fact that someone can still tailgate behind somebody into their campus, and those millions and millions of dollars you spent on security products are out the window because an attacker could just walk into a conference room and plug into a network. Unfortunately, that YouTube shooting incident, I think finally brought that to light for, for some, some I, I hopefully for, for the Googles of the world because- Active shooters. There absolutely is an overlap between physical and logical security and too few organizations um, put them together. Um, And just like a lot of organizations also don't put data privacy with security Um, because a lot of the security teams don't want to deal with data privacy. They go, that's somebody else's problem. I I look at this like a Venn diagram, you know, the physical security, the logical security, the data privacy, the compliance aspects, uh, the business continuity and disaster recovery aspects of it physically and logically. They're all interconnected risks because it doesn't matter if a hurricane wiped out and shut down your data center, or you had ransomware, you still an availability outage. And you have to think about it that way. Now, some of it, you can't prevent a hurricane, you can harden the environment to minimize the damage, you can prevent malicious code, which is what silence does. So again, you've got to look at those and, and think about the business impacts that could be created, and the way in which different uh, threats and vulnerabilities particularly in a combined setting, could be magnified if you have a cyber-physical event that is joined together. So we're here at RSA 2018, and um, 
The theme is now matters. Why does now matter? For me, now has always mattered. So I'm glad everybody else is catching up to that. Now matters because risk is temporal. What I decide to do today in terms of evaluation of controls, shutting off controls that don't work, investing in new controls that improve my uh, settings and capabilities uh, to protect my company, the decisions I make when I'm creating technology all affect future risk because risk is temporal. So what I do now affects my risk portrait a week from now, a year from now, 10 years from now. Think of Meltdown Inspector. Now mattered 20 years ago when those things were architected. And we've only seen now, 20 years later, that architectural issue, that functionality issue, come to light in a way that it could be misused and affect computing. So we've got to look at it. And I always try and, in my mind, think of what I'll call the Rubik's Cube of risk. You know, what is the risk today? Where is it going to go in the future? How are these interconnected things going to change the, the risk dynamics? And my job is to figure out how to best prevent the risk from occurring as much as possible. And then, because you can't eliminate risk, just like you can't eliminate risk physically, what's the best detection and response mechanisms to minimize damage? Because detection and response are damage minimization controls. Because you're at that point bad things are already occurring. So you're in a, a race to shrink the time to detect and, and shrink the containment, whether it be, you know, again, a logical event or the case of something like a fire, right? The sooner you can detect it, the sooner you can respond to it. Yeah, you, you might have damage, but you hopefully won't lose life. You know, similar concept when it comes to, to cyber. But just like in the physical realm, if you can prevent fire because you've got fire retardant capabilities, you've, uh, you know, improved electrical, you've improved um, home appliances to reduce the fire risk. And, and just like in the cyber case, you've got to do your best to prevent the issues to begin with, and then still have the ability to detect and respond. Tell me a little bit about Silence, the company. Silence is predicated on the focus of prevention of malicious code prevention of the cyber risk cycle as we've been seeing it play itself out now for the past few decades. Stuart McClure and Ryan Perma are co-founders. Um, Stuart had previously been the chief technology officer at McAfee, Ryan the chief scientist. They left McAfee six years ago to create silence because they believed that prevention was possible. They wanted to think beyond the existing paradigms of accepting compromise. They reimagined, reinvented what could be done and how it could be done. And the result of that is our artificial intelligence and machine learning capability that's a kernel level shim. So prior to the execution of code in the operating stack, in under 100 milliseconds, we extract millions of features, do a mathematical calculation, and determine good from bad. You know, we've rethought the efficacy potential. And we've also rethought how efficient you can be in doing it. You know, the other thing that I spend a lot of time talking about is what I'll call the social responsibility. Okay. Um, I think of information risk, information security, uh, privacy as a moral obligation, as an ethical issue. And I think too frequently when we look back at how people approach risk issues and organizations do it, they're assessing risk to themselves. I'm assessing risk to my organization. 
where that is one element of the risk picture. They should also be assessing what risk is being created for my customer and what potential risk am I creating for society. And I think if people actually change that, much like you know, environmental laws. It's a societal responsibility, right? And once we juxtapose the responsibility differently, you saw different actions and you saw recycling and you saw people trying to minimize waste, right? I think we've got to do the same thing when it comes to information risk. And that is not only for the organizations that are operating it, but it's also the organizations that are creating it. And every organization is becoming a technology company. Cement companies are layering in sensors to sell big data and analytics back to municipalities. Oscar Mayer launched a dating app two and a half years ago called Sizzle, a dating app for bacon lovers. So wow. every organization is starting to become a technology company. Uh -huh. You've got stoves and microwaves getting connected to the internet. Yeah. Kohler has done an IP addressable sauna that I can turn it when I'm you know, mm -hmm. with an app. So we have to think about what we're doing here and, and not just run to the technology, which we have to do because we can't stop the technological evolution, but we also have to think about how we're doing it and whether or not we've taken the right steps to not only protect our company, but protect our customers. Because if we continued the path that we're on, you think of the Dynatac. You had a bunch of IoT devices that were designed and implemented and managed completely insecure. They got owned, and what did they do? They took down portions of the internet and portions of, of services and capability. The World Economic... They took down Twitter for a while. I didn't appreciate that at all. That probably hurt. But the mitigation that should be done is when I'm creating an IoT device, I've done it with security in mind so that the likelihood that that $10 thing that I stick in my house or $100 part that's managing my heating and air conditioning has an exceptionally low likelihood of being taken over and turned as a weapon. Well, see, the thing is you're dealing with Chinese manufacturers who probably don't care. And they just want to sell you the quickest, easiest, dirtiest, cheapest thing. And how do you get them to manufacture something with uh, with a better default username and password or something I, like I, that? You know, I, 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 it drives me nuts when people blame other countries and saying okay. they're doing this stuff. The reality is most of those devices, yeah, they may have been manufactured in China. But guess who was the uh, designer of it? and owns the P&L and gets the profit. It's probably a, country, a company here in the United States. Or they spoofed something that was... Yeah, there, there's certainly here. knockoff products and stuff yeah. like that. But, but you look at it and you go, who created the technology that we're leveraging today? Primarily U.S.-based companies. Yeah, it's manufactured all over the world. Pop up a website. Guess what? You're a creator of technology. If you haven't done a good job to secure that website and you've got a cross-site scripting vulnerability, input-output validation in, uh, um, error, and a bad guy pops that website, you now are actually going to be potentially leveraged for anybody who goes to your website to infect them and download stuff. So even creating a website, if you've done it wrong, whoever goes to your website, you might be contributing to their risk. I'll still blame the Chinese. I don't care. <laughs> Uh, Malcolm Harkins from Silence. If one were to want to get some more information on Silence and uh, the services that you provide, where where could they go about doing that? Silence.com. 
And what about on Twitter? Can can we stalk silence on you Twitter? You can talk, stalk silence on Twitter, LinkedIn. You can follow me at, at protect to enable on Twitter. Protect to enable on Twitter. Yep. Right on. Malcolm Harkins, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of the Vince in the Bay podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, all that jazz. Check out the blog, VinceInTheBay.com, and hit me up on Twitter, twitter.com slash VinceInTheBay. Bada bing, bada boom.